I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Welcome to the Progressive Britain podcast. This is the podcast with the unpopular belief that progressive centre-left politics has a lot to offer the modern world. Everyone wants a movement these days. Barack Obama, Donald Trump, Jeremy Corbyn, Emmanuel Macron. They have shown that waves of popularity can be focused into powerful vehicles for change and remarkable ways of sweeping aside an old elite and the bringing about of a new elite. So does the rise of platforms, Facebook and Uber, and the support that they can muster mean that they're too big to fail or is it just a failure of regulation? What was behind Me Too and will it last? These are big questions for progressives. I'm Alison McGovern, I'm the Chair of Progress, and I'll be joined by Director of Progress, Richard Angel, Deputy Director, Steph Lloyd, Jeremy Hymans and Henry Timms. And we'll be discussing Jeremy and Henry's book, available now in all good bookstores. It's called New Power. Welsh Labour Conference took place this weekend and Progress had a rally for Europe. It was a phenomenal success. First things first on uh, Wales, lovely place that it is. I feel like we must have a big hurrah for Carolyn, who is our new deputy leader of the Welsh Labour Party. She is indeed. Um, Carolyn Harris, a woman I know well. She has been one of our colleagues in the PLP and I can remember literally the first times I spoke to Carolyn because she really took she really took Westminster by storm. She is one of those women who life probably wasn't kind to in her earlier years and she has taken lemons and made the best tasting lemonade. Mm. I mean, from um, using the death of her son to campaign so that no other parent would ever have to face the cost of a child's funeral, a campaign she's just won. The Prime Minister's just, you know, said that the government's going to set up a special fund for that. Um, Through to being someone who, I mean, she brings style to politics in a way that most people don't, to be quite honest. Mm. Whether that's her kind of beautiful accent or whether that is the way that she dresses in a way that is like bright and makes a statement about how proud she is of how she looks. I think she changes politics just by just by being herself and just sending a message that actually no one should be ashamed or embarrassed of where they come from, who they are. In fact, you should take pride in those things. And she does that in a way that is 
endearing. She's really funny. I'm a massive fan. I'll be honest. Me too. Yeah, no, I was. I, I mean, yeah, absolutely. She's brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. Um, and we had uh, we had our event there this weekend. Um, so we did a rally for Europe. Uh, I would and literally, I mean, what an event that was! It was a packed room from start to finish, um, which is always difficult with conferences. There's always lots going on, um, but we had uh, some phenomenal speakers and really the energy in the room um, of Labour members that they just, you know, they wanted to take out really positive pro-European message out on the doors. Um, they were getting really positive messages back, and also just make sure the Labour Party does everything it can um, in order to kind of change where it's at. Obviously, it is amazing that we've got our new Welsh deputy leader, who will be brilliant. And Carwyn Jones, the Welsh first minister, also announced that he is going to be stepping down, which, you know, came as a bit of a surprise. Although, actually, if you think about it, he's been first minister for quite some time now. Yeah, nine, nine years, years now. Is it nine years? Nine years, yeah. It was the first It was the first leadership election I was ever involved in. But, yeah, no, yeah. I mean, what often... Do you remember in Wales at the time, were you? I was, I was, yeah. I came into politics through Welsh Labour, so it was lovely to be back uh, in Clandidno. It is a lovely Welsh place, Clandidno. Oh, it's beautiful. And, I mean, the sun was shining. There is nowhere finer yeah. than North Wales on a sunshiny day. But I think, like, you know... Carwin, having, you know, been in government for all of the years that we've had uh, the Tory government here in the U- in, across the UK, like the leadership that he has shown over these years to protect people of Wales, to really put Labour values into action and do everything he could to try and make sure that Wales would go from strength to strength on very progressive values rather than um, just be handed the cuts from the, from the Tory government under very, very difficult circumstances is really an absolute testament to his leadership and, and how much he's done. Yeah, every year he has been leader of the Welsh Assembly government, there have been essentially Westminster imposed cuts on the mm-hmm. grant there. So to be able to kind of crowbar fairness into his programme while having less and less money to do it with, I think has been quite a remarkable thing. And that's very, very impressive. And both of you, if there was one thing that, you know, a message to the rest of the Labour Party that's the learning from Carwin's leadership through that period, in a sentence, what would be the, the message that you take from Carwin's leadership? that optimism and determination can really deliver results. You know, he, while he has been governing while there's been austerity, he's not been restrained by austerity in terms of his thinking, his passion, his ambition for people. And I think that's been a really, that's good leaders do that, is you might have really difficult terrain, but that doesn't mean your sunny uplands changes uh, the heights of that for you. And I think he's done that Really, really well. Steph? Definitely a sentence there, Richard. Um, <laughs> there, was a, there was a lot of punctuation going on there. <laughs> I think that he's really shown that he can make very difficult decisions, um, but you can still make very difficult decisions in difficult times with values and principle that really protect the people that you that he came into politics to serve. Fantastic. Now, if you fancy coming along to uh, a Progress event, possibly the most exciting one of the year is coming up, which is Progress Annual Conference on the 5th of May. One of my very favourites, Alistair Campbell, is doing a big keynote speech. And I think knowing him as we do, it will be pretty feisty. We're going to have some people there who we've previously had on this podcast uh, your friend of mine, the wonderful Liz Kendall, Wes Streeting, uh, Aisha Hazarika and Marlon Solomon, who did a brilliant podcast recently on anti-Semitism. It was a particular favourite of mine. They're all confirmed. They're coming along and there'll be loads more, including 
the insightful and brilliant Stephen Bush and Claire Coghill, who is the amazing uh, leader of Waltham Forest Council. She is most definitely one to watch. So make sure that you have got your tickets. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. I'm Sandra and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hi, I'm June Sarpong, and if you like the Progressive Britain podcast, then we ask you to subscribe, rate, or review it on iTunes, because that's how we reach a larger audience. And that's what progressive politics is all about. So, guys, thanks for coming in to talk to us about your book. I'm going to start with a really, really basic question. You have written about new power. So, first things first, what on earth is it and why should anyone care? So we think of new power as kind of the essential skill of the 21st century. You think about who's who's winning around the world right now. Leaders, institutions, platforms. The one thing which is constant is this kind of ability to harness the energy of the connected crowd. And that's how we think about new power. It's this new set of skills from how your ideas spread to how you launch a movement to how you sustain a movement. It's this new set of kind of essential skills that whether you are a politician or a dentist or a local activist or a head of state you have to understand how to get these crowds on your side and heading in the right direction so that's what new power is and one of the great challenges we've seen with this with this work is it's a real challenge to the old power world those people the incumbent people who have got used to power over years which is kind of theirs to hoard up and dole out when they see fit they've entered this world as a crowds and they've often got pretty spooked pretty quickly because it's moving much quicker than they ever wanted to it seems to me like and from reading that some of the things that you've written about it that basically new power is not essentially good like it could be used for good or it could be used for bad Right. Is that right? Absolutely. So it's it, these are really neutral concepts. So it's really just how you exercise power. Do you exercise power by hoarding it and treating it like currency, by focusing on what you own or know or control that no one else does? Or do you exercise power by harnessing the energy of crowds, um, which we see as this very critical skill today? And so you can see really good actors and really awful actors using who's 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 your prime example of each one who's a prime example of somebody who's using it for good and he's a prime example of someone who's using it for in this progressive mm-hmm. conversation bad 
Well, I mean, I can give you the good and Henry can give you um, the deep pessimism. So, but, uh, you know, <laughs> so you think about the March for Our Lives kids in the US, the kids, the Parkland kids who rose up after that um, mass shooting. These kids really understand <laughs> this skill. They're very good at mobilizing people. They help to achieve what appears to be some kind of breakthrough in the trajectory of the issue. We'll have to see. So these are kids who have an intuitive understanding of new power. You're seeing that as well in decentralized social movements in the US like Black Lives Matter that you might think of as leader full. So these are all applications of new power that we would regard as very positive. But you can cross the ocean and another student, uh, uh, a young girl called Aksa Mahmood, who we learned about when we were writing the book, a Scottish schoolgirl who disappeared one night in high school, you know, um, nice upbringing, loved Harry Potter, disappears one day, she'd been radicalized online emerges three days later on the border into Syria and creates this girl-to-girl network very effective around the world, which is moving, engaging with girls all around the world as they make the same kind of uh, journey that she's made. It's full of emojis. It's very kind of, um, it's very of the moment. It's very connected. It's very changeable. And so she has this capacity to kind of use new power to spread a message sideways around the world in a very different way. And in a way, those two examples are the battle of our times, right? Which is who is going to... And her message is... Her message is join ISIS. Wow. I mean, her message is like, I mean, she literally, there are, there are women in, in, the, in England whose the, the last messages they exchange before they leave the country are with her when she's already there. And so she has this capacity to mobilize a crowd around her, her values and mission. At the same time she's doing that, the US State Department is um, literally dropping cartoons out of the back of bombers, which, which is a tactic they'd first used in, in the First World War. So like one of the challenges of our age is those people who can work out how to spread their ideas sideways, like they're not just thinking about the world in kind of soundbite terms, but they're working out how people can actually engage with ideas, change them, adapt them, move them around the world. Those are the people who are coming out on top. We, we actually saw this recently with Me Too. Right. So you think about the the shape of the Me Too movement, right? So you know, Harvey Weinstein, obviously classic old power, you know, built this entire hierarchy that protected him, uh, rewarded his friends punished his enemies, very classic application of old power, of a negative, obviously very negative application of that. If you get the Me Too movement, and the Me Too movement just structurally looks very different. So it's been able to topple giants, it's been able to shift norms, it hasn't achieved all of the things that it wants to achieve, but it's achieved quite a lot. Using this current that surges across the world, it moves from geography to geography, it has many leaders, it becomes more powerful as more voices um, are added to it. And do you think that's fundamentally different from movement politics that we've seen in the past? So, you know, the trade union movement, for example, the establishment of the trade union movement at the turn of the century is like the the essentially the harnessing of individuals who are all in the same boat. Yeah. And this is different because it uses technology or because it moves and that means it's faster or mm-hmm. is this like fundamentally different or is this a, is it a new application of a, of an old idea? Well, look, the movements have existed from the beginning of human history. So there's nothing new about movements. What we're describing is what these dynamics look like in the early 21st century, where there is a speed, a scale, a transnational dynamic that creates an opportunities for new things to happen that either wouldn't have happened 50 years ago or 100 years ago or might have taken a lot longer to happen if they did. So that's really the dynamic we're describing rather than suggesting that, you know, there's something new about mobilizing people, which of course is as old as history. There's also an expectation tied to this. So you think about like when I grew up in the UK in the 1980s, right? And 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 we 
we had three, four TV channels. We had some newspapers. We had a library. Mm -hmm. Like my opportunity to participate in the world was very limited. I yeah. remember sitting on the bottom of my stairs, constantly dialing the local radio station, yeah, hoping yeah. to get on the talk show. And I never, never really got on, right? Think how different that is to the kids we just described earlier today who have this kind of both this opportunity to participate in the world and it's expectation. And, and I think that's the big challenge. And the means. And, right. Yeah. So like Channel 4 in its old incarnation of youth telly, it was seen as like radical. Because, it was so exciting. Right. I remember when it first came on, it was a big day. But, and Channel 5, which started with the Spice Girls. Right. But now you wouldn't even, you wouldn't even wait to be invited on a TV program. You'd be like literally making your own Right. I mean, and that's fundamentally different. So, you know, the, the fact that everybody, you know, within a certain context right of of class and and an opportunity and geography has their hands now on these means of participation is fundamentally different like Aksa Mahmoud simply would not have been able to do what she did and what she is doing for ISIS if she was trying to communicate with people as pen pals yeah. it just it just you know it enables new behaviors it enables new dynamics for good and for bad and that's the important thing to note yeah so I want to just come ask a couple more questions on the um on those, like the dynamic between kind of what I would think of as progressive values and 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 negative, and you describe a kind of new power compass, which um, has a has a kind of axis of um, values and models, and so like just to kind of run through quickly and like jump in and tell me if I'm getting this wrong, but basically, examples would be the Guardian and Unilever having new power values but an old power model and um, organization, there's other organizations that have old power values, but a new power model. And you argue like Uber and the kind of ISIS, Daesh, Airbnb and Black Lives Matter, a new power all the way. And Apple, and this might surprise some people, are old power model and old power values. So what do you think people should take from that kind of dual axis? And this is like not helpful not on a podcast, but I'm vaguely to like, I'm trying to explain to podcast listeners using my hands by making an axis shape, but that obviously is completely useless. There'll be a link in the bottom of this podcast <laughs> yeah, yeah. to the... I might even uh, draw a little sketch and tweet and of it course, later. Most people who've listened to this, even some of the cursory listeners to politics will have done some kind of political compass yeah. model of which there is Yeah, that But what axis. do you think people should take from your kind of value models access well i think it's 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 a tale of the strategies that are being used by organizations we also in the book have an overlay on individual leadership strategies so donald trump is in the same quadrant as uber facebook and isis in terms of this this quadrant of of what we call co-opter so if you think of trump's style right he is very effective at harnessing the energy of crowds he understands how to unleash the agency of his supporters but the value set that he, he channels anger he channels in a, quite anger an impressive really scarily impressive unfortunately way. very 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 well but his value proposition is I alone can fix it. I'm here to restore order. I'm here to restore hierarchy. Uh -huh. um, he's calling and tapping people's authoritarian values. That dynamic is a dynamic. It's a strategy for leadership. And the point of Apple is that, look, you know, there are still successful strategies that are based on old power models and old power values. The reason we argue Apple is in that category is, look, its business model is still based on a product designer in Cupertino deciding what we need and giving it to us, and its its values are not collaborative, they're not embracing of transparency, et cetera. A lot of organizations in that quadrant, what we call the castle quadrant, are struggling, 
And some of them are thinking about this co-opter model. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Some of them are moving to this cheerleader model like The Guardian where, you know, it's still a media company. It's still a very traditional model, but it is embracing new forms of participation and engagement with its readers. You know, it's very committed to a kind of radical transparency in, in, in key aspects of what it does and how it reports. So there are just these different strategies in the world. And I think part of what we're trying to say in the book is these are the strategies. How do we get more people into a place you know, in which they're embracing participation, but not in a way that is extractive, um, which is so much of the story of, of, I think, today. And what do you think that, what do you think the key test for that is? Like if you were to set, say, the Guardian or Unilever challenge, or like any organization that was trying to embrace the idea that people should have more involvement and that, you know, we should have a kind of more horizontal power structure. What would you say the key test for any organization is? So I think the right question is, are you really making people more powerful, right? We often kind of default to this kind of language around, we want to put people at the center. And what that usually means is we want to get people all harvest together in a central place and ask them their opinion once a year, right? Which isn't yeah. the same thing as making people more powerful. So I think the people who are doing this or really- Or I would like them to respond to my consultation by this date. Thank you very much. Oh yeah, right. Or I would like them to agree with the idea I've already had and then <laughs> in, in some way justify it by the Even public. better. Like yeah. Boating with Boatface. That's ideal. Right? Yeah, yeah. It was, was kind of the, the, the legendary example of that isn't it? around the world now is Boating with Boatface, right? Which is this like- is, the, This is true. And there was there's a kind of funny thing, which is that um, it's actually called the uh, the David Attenborough. Uh, know, it's being built right. at a shipyard down the road from my constituency. But they did actually, there's this little uh, independently, you know, um, moving about vehicle that's called Boating McBoatface. It's a kind of like sop to, I think we did a thing that wouldn't work, and, but we're going to so, have and, this like Boating McBoatface kind of tacked on the right, side. Yeah, and yeah. sunk it at sea, right? Yeah. I, mean, I still think that, I still think it is time. Maybe this is the time to start the movement. I think it's still time to reclaim Boating McBoatface. <laughs> I, I think it's it's we've given it's up too, too quickly. Too so I think there's, there are good examples. Of, yeah. So I think the question becomes like the great critique of our time right is that the people don't trust institutions yeah now one of the driving reasons for that is that institutions don't trust people that we end up in this world where we aren't actually engaging people in meaningful and participatory ways with the things that really matter so we have these delightful experiences like on our social media platforms right there they're immediate they're very positive they're peer validated if i did an instagram uh, post of this now everyone immediately would be saying hey this is so cool look you know the house of parliament look at these cool people you're doing a podcast but Just the, you, the only reason we do this podcast is so that people can call me cool. And, and, in my, and, and to help my Instagram <laughs> yeah, feed. Yeah, exactly. So, but, but, so you have these amazing dynamics which are so fulfilling. And then, you know, you encounter government, for example. And actually people's experience with government or the healthcare system or the welfare, all of these dynamics, the feedback loops around those things are actually relatively very, very unrewarding. So one of the gaps we have to start filling is how can we actually structure the institutions that matter in ways that are meaningful to the people inside them and meaningful to, to, to the world as a whole. And a lot of the stories in the book talk about how you could do that in a very meaningful way. And that doesn't I, mean just tri- trivializing. Yeah, right. You know, it doesn't mean just trivial kind of, you know, you get a trophy in your in your trophy case in, in your app, but it, it actually means giving people a greater sense of ownership of those institutions, you know, and there are lots of ways to do that, right? That are, there are experiments around the world in how to do that. You know, participatory budgeting is interesting. It's never really gotten to scale, but there are ways to reimagine that in ways that take advantage of, of, of new power dynamics and connectivity. So, you know, this isn't about gimmicks. It's about meaningfully giving people a sense of ownership rather than seeing them as kind of subjects and beneficiaries. But isn't one of the things that shows that is how far behind the state is. So I can go on an app and I can book, I can update my uh, gas meter. I can book an appointment to get it um, 
fixed or updated. I can see my account details and where it's at. And I can give feedback on the fact that this guy came around and he was rude or that they were absolutely amazing customer service, whatever it might be, right? Uh, or, or, or tell them the thing they should be doing that they haven't yet thought of yet. I can't even get my NHS records on an app. Right. So I can take around to different mm. places, be like, this is how ill I am, or this is the tablets I normally take, or whatever it might be, let alone book an appointment, let alone... Although my um, counter example to that would be um, parts of the state, I think are good. So I think if you, I have a very good experience of the app my child's school uses to give me feedback on what she's up to. And if I want to contact a teacher it's obviously very important that that's done in a really secure way so they've thought about that they've got a product that really seems to work so I think it's definitely possible for the state to do it but I guess what I take from what you're saying is they need to have a think about what's the contact that's meaningful and how do you give people a sense of ownership that is genuinely something and not actually a Boaty McBoatface attempt at right offering you something that's not really on the table exactly and to really give up some power like one of the things people, anyone in the business are talking about, you know, making people empowerful and making others empowered. One of the first questions is, are you prepared to give up power? What decisions are you prepared to give to the crowd? What what, what decisions are you prepared not to make? And even if you get to an outcome you weren't expecting, because mm. part of the, the way that people engage in things now is that they feel they have real ownership and real agency over them. And so the question for, for the state is, how do you start to do that in ways which are, which are out of this tired binary which is the tired binary is kind of we can either have complete control or complete chaos right that's how we think about the world right? either we'll be in charge of everything we'll take no risk and their things will be fine or we'll you know let the barbarians run free and the whole book is about structuring for that middle ground which is how do you create a world which takes the best of the old power world the best of the new power world and at its best gets an outcome which is good for all of us okay we're gonna have to wrap up shortly but before we do i have um one last question and then i want to finish by asking everybody to give their favorite example of the campaign that does it best. So like to leave people with like a, a, a kind of sense of positivity about how uh, your ideas can help move things forward. But before we do that, I just kind of want to go to the to a negative example, which is obviously what we were talking about before, which is Trump. Mm-hmm. So I think there's clearly a sense in which the power of the crowd in that American election. I mean, maybe maybe Brexit beforehand actually is is an even better example, but the power of the crowd was clearly channeled by an individual. Firstly, do you think that he will be able to mobilize that power again for a second term? And if not, how how has he stopped? Well, I think one thing that's really interesting about Trump in contrast to Obama. So you think about both Obama and Trump in very different ways channeled the crowd to get elected. But once What was different about Obama? Well, so the, what we describe in the book is essentially Obama's approach was very structured and Trump's approach was very unstructured and chaotic. So Trump basically created this, you know, basically empowered this massive decentralized social media army, but they weren't actually taking their cues from him. In many ways, he was taking his cues from them. So he would retweet the white supremacists, he would look to see what was bubbling up, and he would elevate, in many cases, the most extreme sentiments. So he ran, he basically, there was a chaos he engendered, but he very much sent that signal, right? He said, you know, saying to your supporters, I'll pay your legal fees if you punch a protester at my rally. Amazing. That's a powerful signal to say, do your worst, unleash 
your worst. So that was Trump's strategy. Now, Obama did that through inspiration, and he then ran a very disciplined, very structured campaign where everybody had very specific things that they could do. But nonetheless, it was a very clever application of new power. Now, once Obama got do think, elected... Do you think, like, for example, the, the example that always strikes me is the switch from big money to small donations. Is that Would that be a kind of good example of what you mean? With Obama? Yeah. Yeah, Definitely. absolutely. That was one of his key innovations. Yeah. But then actually kind of the dynamic was once he became president, he stopped really engaging with that crowd. He didn't bring the crowd into government with him. He didn't make US government fundamentally more participatory. That wasn't right. really a priority. And he started using his crowd a bit like an ATM machine. So yeah, you would still get those emails from Obama saying- They call it a cash machine. Uh, oh, well, a cash machine. <laughs> yeah. um, dinner, you know, question mark, you know, and, and Obama wasn't inviting you to dinner. He was asking you for money. Right. I see. So well, actually, Donald Trump has taken that movement into the White House that's with him, right. right? I mean, that's the thing. And one of the things that I think you said- I saw you the other day was he invests in intensity, whereas Obama seemed to invest in uh, it being broad. And so he wanted as many people as possible in his movement mm -hmm. to show his support and to, to garner that support. But Trump seems to find the most intense expressions to feed even more support. And it's not just Trump. I mean, I think in many ways, you know, intensity has become the new favorability, right? We used to right. think of things as favorability, right? So Hillary Clinton had great favorability throughout the whole race and everyone was very excited about her favorability compared to Trump's. But of course, when the moment come, came, Trump had much more intensity yeah. and favorability. Same dynamics around Brexit, right? You saw what, the, the, what things looked a bit more favorable when it came to intensity, a very different set of dynamics played out. That strength of passion. And I think that's yeah. the question for people now, which is it's not simply people, it's a, real, it's a real shift in terms of public figures and others thinking about, you know, do people admire us? Do they think well of us? was one set of measures. Another set of measures, which is now more relevant, is are they prepared to take up arms for us, right? Are they prepared to do stuff for us? Are we, and we, are we inviting them to do things? And Trump, the one thing I, I think for, I'm sure we have a very shared view on, on his politics and the direction of them in, in this conversation, but I think you have to look from, from an efficiency perspective, right? He has invited a lot of people who felt disenfranchised to feel empowered. And, and that is what's drove him into office and it's what is driving some of his agenda. And, and I'll make a prediction. I think he'll be elected again. Right. I fear that. Yeah. Wow. So do you think that there is a strategy out there for progressives that can beat him? Well, it does require intensity, right? It, 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 you, have, you can't fight intensity with kind of just broad favorability in a lot of contexts. So the, the progressive that beats Trump, and it doesn't mean extremism, but needs to deploy you know, real emotion needs to have intensity of support. And actually Obama did have intensity, you know, you know, mm. that's part of what got him over the line in both of those elections. I, I mean, I, yeah, People because, were passionate about him. Because literally, individual. I mean, I can remember the day of his first inauguration as if it was yesterday. Right. And it was right. a really, really, really but intense day. It's a magical moment. And, and literally, Hillary, I mean, Aretha Franklin, when she opened her mouth, the tears just You're fell right. from my eyes. Right. So, there was definitely intensity there. Look, I that's can right. feel myself. I see, right. like, I see your eyes almost welling up now. I think that's <laughs> Thinking a, about it. So somebody has to channel that's right. that moment again. That's right. Yeah. Okay. yeah. And it doesn't have to be through a charismatic leadership style. I think that's the point. So Obama's a once in a generation figure, yeah, yeah. you know, but there are other ways to garner intensity, right? And so the Corbyn's story here, Corbyn is not charismatic, but he has channeled and created intensity. Right. So... Leave us with a thought, like who, for everybody listening, if they are looking for what good looks like in a campaign that's using new power to generate results, be it like in this country, around the world, like who would you point 
them to. So there was a group of Girl Scouts in Washington, in a state in Washington in the, in the US, and they had been offered $100,000, big donation from a donor. And he, he said, here's $100,000, but just, just one thing, you can't use any of this money to benefit transgender girls. And wow. they took this money and they... They sent the money. They sent the money back. They decided to send the money back. They told their story to to their crowd, and they launched a campaign called "For Every Girl," which was about reaffirming the norms of of the Girl Scout movement. And they ended up raising over three hundred thirty thousand dollars. And more importantly than that, they made a statement about what that community stood for. And that story reminds us that we talk about new power in kind of big ways, right? It's kind of Trump and it's Facebook and it's ISIS and it's Uber and all of these kind of big things. New power is happening on a daily basis with people who are working out how to do this and in ways which push us towards the progressive future we all want can do that in powerful ways. So I think the Girl Scouts would be my example. Fantastic. I'm going to give you another inspiring young woman story. I've I've got all day for them. Double up. (laughs) I mean, literally. (laughs) A whole new new podcast. Literally. Can we, Richard? Right. So (laughs) so there was this young girl in Rio called Bia who wanted to stop her school. Basically, it was a lot of demolition of schools and other public spaces for in the run-up to the Olympics and the World Cup. And it was super unaccountable. And, of course, it was a lot easier to do that in a poor part of Rio than a rich one. Of course. And this was actually a very well, highly rated school that served disadvantaged kids. And she wanted to stop her school from being demolished. So she started this campaign um, using a tool that um, an organization called Rio had developed, which we incubated at, at purpose, that was also started by an amazing young woman called Alessandra Orofino. And basically she started a campaign to save her school. And once it started getting traction, this organization, Mihrio, realized, let's turn this into an iconic moment. So what they did is they set up a live stream of the school because they knew that demolition equipment was coming any day. They asked the citizens of Rio to monitor this live stream, to leave their mobile phone numbers and commit to becoming citizen guardians of the school. Wow. And anyone, as soon as someone spotted the demolition equipment, you'd get a text and you'd rush to the school and form a human barrier to protect the school from demolition. Oh, my goodness. And it was this amazing kind of way of embodying people power. And what happened was that happened after 72 hours after the campaign launched, the governor of Rio saved the school, cancelled the plans to demolish it, having been very obstinate before, and agreed to a more you know, a consultative process in future to these kinds of things. Now, look, again, these are individual stories, but individual stories, as we all know from movement building, are key to not only showing people that change is possible, but also to, you know, to kind of um, lighting the way. Um, Movements, you know, need these kinds of moments. So there's plenty in the book. There are definitely warnings in the book about co-optation and about the dangers of new power, but there's also, I think, a lot of optimism in the book and a lot of very concrete, practical analogues for anybody looking to build a movement to spread their ideas. And that's why, you know, we're excited to be on podcasts like this where we're helping to get those ideas into the right hands. So on that, we will put a link to the book right on the podcast page so that everybody can go and click and have a look. I think this conversation has been really helpful and brilliant. I just want to leave you with one anecdote, which is that so in the UK, especially on the left, the miners strike um, and all the incidents that happened around the kind of miners strike in the 1980s is kind of talismanic, especially for those of us who grew up around it. People remember, you know, the brutality with which Thatcher treated the trade unions and you know, there were particular events where the police treated those striking miners uh, incredibly, incredibly badly. And Dennis Skinner once said to me that if they'd had smartphones with cameras and been able to film at the time of the miners' strike, 
that they never would have been able to treat be treated in the way that they were. And I think it's really interesting because the mm. movement has always existed. Mm. But what he was saying to me is we, if we'd had the tools then That's right. that we could have had now, we could have done things in a really different way. And it's always really stuck with me, but the challenge might be the same and the kind of bringing people together might be the same, but sometimes the tools and the technology help us do things in a different way. So I'm going to leave you with that anecdote, anecdote. But do read the book. Thank you to uh to both of you jeremy henry for coming in and talking to us fascinating conversation thank you now every week connor asks a political pub quiz question which is then answered on friday's review show but he's on holiday i mean and we're not jealous and feeling very angry with him at all are we richard not at all so anyway richard is going to ask the question of all the british prime ministers which of them have represented a welsh constituency oh now Oh, this is all Prime Ministers, not just Labour ones, right? Not just Labour ones. Right, okay. So send your answers to at Progress Online on Twitter or office at progressonline.org.uk for the chance to win a Progress mug. And as it's a special week this week without Connor, I think I've got some We're All South general election mugs left over, you know, in the back of my cupboard. Shall I see if I can find one and we'll give one of them out too? That'd be great. Lovely. So we need to wrap up now, but we've been absolutely delighted to have Jeremy Hymans and Henry Timms joining us today. So send in your questions and comments through Twitter, email, or best of all, leave us an iTunes review and they'll all get responded to on Friday's show. Again, the best iTunes comment will win a prize. And finally, don't forget to subscribe to our podcast and uh, rate, let us know what you think. Thanks very much. been listening to the progressive britain podcast the music was when in the west by blue dot sessions licensed under creative commons and many thanks to the brilliant caroline crampton who produced this podcast When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.